Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The beginning of the good news. That's our theme from now until Lent. I just, I just feel like it might be appropriate to preach good news. I just feel like that's a, a good theme. I don't think I'll go wrong by saying, well, between now and Lent, let's emphasize good news. And so that's, that's our series. That's what we're doing from now until Lent. And it's really based on um, the early moments of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Just as he begins his ministry, uh, what's going on, that's where all the texts come from. And so look again, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Well, that's what I want to do. I want to preach on the good news of God today. It was about the year A.D. 30. Judah was oppressed, occupied by the Romans. The rich and powerful were doing just fine, thank you very much. They had found a way to accommodate that, and they were fine. But the masses, many of them anyway, were struggling. They were suffering. Life was not good. John the Baptist had been out in the desert preaching that people should get ready because the Messiah was about to appear at any moment, the king that would bring God's salvation. But then John the Baptist got arrested by King Herod, and he's in jail. Jesus has been for 40 days praying and fasting out in the desert. But all that's over, and now Jesus has come back to Galilee, but he didn't go home. He didn't go to his hometown. He didn't return to Nazareth. He's only going to go there one more time, and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Jesus didn't go to where he was from. He went to a new town. He was going to have a new base. He went to Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And there, in Capernaum, For the first time, Jesus began to preach the good news of God. He'd not been a preacher. He's in his early 30s. He'd been a carpenter. He's not a preacher. But now he begins to preach, and he's preaching the good news of God, and he says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The first thing that Jesus does is alert people to the time in which they are living. This is part of the prophetic task. 
uh, it, it's part of being prophetic to know what time it is. Because we can, be, we can be out of sorts. We can think it's one time and it turns out it's another. Because it seemed at that time like it was a dark time. A difficult time. A bad time. But Jesus says, no, it's not. In fact, what it was is it was the dawn of the good news. That there'd been a long time when it hadn't been good, but now everything was about to change. And so Jesus says, basically he said this, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, but now the wait is over. And the good news is arriving right now. And Jesus proclaimed the good news of God or the gospel of God. But what is it? What is the, the good news of God? What is the gospel of God? Well, it's a lot of things. I mean, it's a lot of things. But I can touch on a few. I can say it's the good news that God has not forgotten or forsaken his people. When people are suffering, when people are going through difficult times, it's very easy to feel like they are forgotten or forsaken by God. You ever had that experience? Ever been through a dark night and troubling times and you can't feel God and you wonder if God has forgotten you, somehow God has forsaken you? Well, part of the good news that Jesus is announcing is that God has not forgotten them. God has not forsaken them. And it's the good news that God loves the world and God will save the world, that God is now participating in the world, that God has come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on Jesus, they could not be ruined, not perish, not have the world just crush them to pieces. Rather, they could have the life of the age to come. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not going to do any good. He sends his son that through him the world might be saved. So this is all part of the good news. That God loves the world and God is now joining them. God is coming to save them. It's the good news that the world as it is and has been is not the way that it must be. You know, we can get the idea, well, you know, it's always it's just this way. It's just this way, this world of oppression and war and greed and abuse. And, and the way the world is and has been is the way it must be. No, the good news is no, that's not true. There is an alternative because it's the good news that there's a new way to live. And Jesus calls it this, the kingdom of God. So what is the gospel of God, the kingdom of God? What is salvation? It's the kingdom of God. And Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Literally, it says it's at hand. It's within reach. It's right there. It's right there, people. Act on this. Reach out. Take hold of it. The kingdom possibility of newness from heaven is right there. In fact, from the time of Christ until now, the kingdom is always a possibility within reach. That is, I'm, what I mean by that is we always have the possibility to live into this newness that is the kingdom of God. Now, in this age, it's never fully realized, so we live in that tension. But what we must not do is become cynical and say, well, you know, the kingdom of God, we can't, we can't expect that now. That's only for another 
dispensation when Jesus comes back. No, we must not be cynical like that. We need to be believing and regard the kingdom of God as always a present possibility. And so Jesus calls us to believe in this good news about the kingdom of God. And to do that, we have to repent, which means to change our mind in such a way that eventually it changes our life, how we live. We, we have to change our way of thinking and begin to live a different way. That's what Jesus calls us to because the kingdom is within reach. So let's dig a little deeper here. When we say the kingdom of God, we don't mean heaven. We don't mean heaven. You know, people here, and in Matthew's gospel, it virtually always says kingdom of heaven. That's just because Matthew, writing for a predominantly Jewish audience is more reverent in his terminology and he doesn't say the kingdom of God he says the kingdom of heaven Um, but the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not heaven it comes from heaven but it's well it's it's this it's the reign of God it's the rule of God it's the government of God it's it's a society formed and arranged and living the way God intends. You know, we human beings, we're the most social of all. It's the only way we survive. You know, we can't make it on our own, and so we organize our ways, our our lives in various ways. Um, Ask this question. What would it look like if there was a society where God was in charge, where where God was in charge of how we live, how we arrange, how we manage, how we govern, how we administrate. What if God were in charge? Well, that is the kingdom of God. It's the reign and rule, administration, leadership, whatever term you want to use, government of God present in this world around Jesus, who is Lord. And this this kingdom of God is in contrast to something else. It's in contrast to uh, the rule of man under the sway of the evil one. The Apostle John says that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. As you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you're constantly kind of tossed back and forth between God loves the world and do not love the world. (laughs) You know, these both come from John. John says, for God so loved the world. Then he says, by the way, do not love the world. So there's there's two, the idea, God's vision for humanity that would tend toward human flow. I mean, just the idea that there is a, that there is a, a planet and a human race, and God loves that, and he, it's good, and he has plans for it. But under the sway of the evil one, it gets arranged in wrong ways, and it's oppressive and exploitive. Uh, it's based mainly in greed and in pride and in lust. And so that's why John says, love not the world. That is the world's system. The world is presently arranged under the sway of the wicked one. Love not the world because all that's in that system is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that kind of stuff just leads to to death. And so the kingdom of God comes as an alternative to what we've had. 
That is, the rule of man under the sway of the evil one. Jesus was announcing in his good news there in Galilee that the time of the reign of the evil one was coming to an end. Jesus says things like, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. You see, the kingdoms of this world, I mean, they, they come in various forms, but most of them are in some way an expression of boastful pride of life, lust, greed, oppression, that sort of thing. And the, the arrival of the kingdom from heaven, the kingdom of God, is a challenge, is an invasion. Uh, heaven comes to liberate humanity. Humanity is occupied by malevolent spiritual forces and Jesus says I've come to set them free and to give them an alternative so that the significance of Jesus casting out demons is to show that Satan your kingdom must come down that, that there's a new boss there's a new sheriff in town there's a new administration there's a new kingdom that's arriving and in Mark's gospel which we're going to be in until then uh, exorcisms are very prominent. They're featured. And it's not just some sort of exotic tale that will, that will fascinate us. It's Mark is making the point that with the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom of Satan is being conquered. We'll look at that more next week. So Jesus is announcing and demonstrating that the dawn of a radical newness has arrived. And we could say it this way, the good news of God is that there is a new way of being human. The good news of God is that the way it's been, it doesn't have to be forever. There's a new way of being human. I think you, we could sum it up in some ways with that, that beautiful, rich Hebrew word, shalom. Yes, it means peace, but it's, it's fatter than that. It's bigger than that. It, it, really, it really encompasses the whole concept of everything it takes for human beings to enjoy the good life is in that. And there's a new way of being human given to us through Jesus. It's the way of shalom, and this is the good news of God. Now, the first thing to notice about the good news of the kingdom of God is that it includes the forgiveness of sins. It's not just that. It's not limited to that. But that's kind of the first thing you notice. That once you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to pledge my allegiance to this new kingdom. By faith and baptism, I'm going to become a citizen of this kingdom from the heavens where Jesus is Lord. And the first thing that happens, I mean, there, there are benefits, you know. And the first thing that happens when you become a, a citizen of this new kingdom is your sins are all forgiven. How good is that? You say, what do I got to do? Believe and then turn your life in the direction of the kingdom. Just enter into it and all of your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's, that's good news for everyone because we all need forgiveness because we're all sinners. I know there, there's, there's a strain of Christian thought. Oh, we're not sinners, we're saints. Well, we're saints too. We're saints and sinners. I actually find it comforting to acknowledge that I'm a sinner because it explains so much. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. After all, I'm a sinner. Now, I don't want, I, that isn't what I want to really lean into. I want to move toward the saint side. 
But it does help me understand, well, I am a sinner, you know. So I'm following Jesus, trying to move in the right direction, but I'm still a sinner. But the good news is my sins are forgiven in this new kingdom. And this is the advantage of those who are in some way like officially designated as sinners. At least they know they need forgiveness. And so that's why you see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the people that are really attracted to Jesus, the people that want to hang out with him, the people that like him, the people that it's evident to everybody else Jesus is their friend, are the people that were known sinners. I mean, they were known to be sinners. We're all sinners, but you know, you have whole groups of people that make it their great cause in life to hide it. But, you know, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those that have been formally excluded from synagogue life for some sort of sin, everybody knew that there, there was no point in them trying to hide it. They knew they were sinners. And, and they're coming to Jesus, and Jesus is constantly saying, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the religious authorities go, does he have the right to do that? Whew. Does he have? I, there's, there's, we actually have some, uh, you know, established procedures you, you can't just you know willy-nilly forgive sins but jesus kept doing it and made them mad and one time they said well how can you do that he said well you know because i do well which is easier you know to say your sins are forgiven or to say this man that's paralyzed rises up and walk well just so you'll know that i have authority to forgive hey get up and the guy's healed gets up and they're like maybe he does have authority to forgive sins it's the good news of the kingdom now, this good news is for everyone. That's part of it. It's, it's radically egalitarian. This is good news for everyone. It isn't like, uh, okay, this is going to be good news for you, but you guys over there, <laughs> sorry. No, it's good news for everyone, but I can say it this way, especially for those who have been in the past left out and left behind. It's especially good for them. That's why Jesus said things like, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Now, it means many things, but one of the things it means is that those that are last tend to be the first to enter this kingdom, and those that are first tend to be the last to enter the kingdom. Do you understand why that is? I mean, if you are in a situation where the way the world is arranged has led to you being disenfranchised, left behind, left out. You don't feel like you have a place. And someone announces, hey, we have a new kingdom. We're going to rearrange this thing. And you're like, I want in. Don't you want to read the fine print? No need. I just want in. I, something new is a good idea. But if you're situated where it's, you're kind of at the top, am I, am I crackling? And so... <laughs> I might be preaching too much for this microphone. We'll see. And so if you're, if you're situated in, in a way that everything is kind of advantageous to you, you might be the last to say, I think I need another kingdom. So that's what's going on there. Uh, and that brings us to a very important question. And I really, I'd really want, I don't want us to just skip over this. I want us to wrestle with this because it is kind of, I don't know, stunning, glaring, shocking. If Jesus is preaching good news, and that's how Jesus understands it. He's preaching good news. He says it's good news. He calls it good news. 
There are plenty of people who are receiving it as good news. That's why suddenly masses of people are gathering around him. If Jesus is preaching good news, why did some hate him? And hate his message? And even conspire to kill him? Well, to answer this question, we need to consider who the opposition was. I mean, there are a lot of people, a whole lot of people, that love what Jesus is doing. He's preaching good news, saying God's for you. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's forgiving sinners. And yet there's a group of people that hate this, resist it, call it names, say it's of the devil, and then they conspire to kill him. Now, who are these people? It's it's basically three groups of people with with some overlap, but it's basically these people. The religiously self-righteous, the economically wealthy, and the politically powerful. Those groups in general, there'll be rare exceptions, but as groups, the religiously self-righteous, the economically wealthy, and the politically powerful resisted Jesus and his message. We're talking about people like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who were the temple aristocracy, the chief priests and elders, the Herodians, that's the, that's the uh, wealthy elite of Jerusalem, and of course, the Romans. The Romans are going to reason because the Romans don't want to hear anything about a kingdom of God because they already know what the kingdom of God is. It's the Roman Empire. And they're, they're absolutely convinced that their nation, their empire, you know, is raised up by God and they have a special place in the world and, and they're the ones that bring freedom and justice for all and all that, sort of, all that sort of language. And so they're going to resist any talk of another kingdom because they're convinced that their, their empire is the kingdom of God. So... They are resisting this. The religiously self-righteous, well, they resist it in part because they don't want to admit that they too are sinners and need to be forgiven. The Pharisees were the kind of people that like to come up to pastors and say, Pastor, why don't you preach on sin more? Now, when anybody says that, what they really mean is, why don't you preach on someone else's sin more? So, I, I mean, I a long time learned how to deal with that. Pastor Brian, I don't think you preach on sin enough. I want you to preach on, you should preach on sin more. I said, all right, I'll do it. I want you to tell me your three worst sins, and I'll try to work it into the sermon next week to preach against that. <laughs> tell me your three worst. Well, that, you don't mean that. No, I want you to preach about, and they'll name the sins. I said, well, are those your sins? No. I said, well, why would you want to hear a sermon on someone else's sins? How's that going to help you? That's the Pharisees. They, they, uh, They don't like what Jesus is doing because they don't want to admit that they too are sinners in need of forgiveness. They're convinced that what's wrong with society is them, not themselves. Uh, The wealthy, those economically wealthy, they don't want a kingdom where economics is based on generosity. Uh, They want to hold on to their greed. They want to be on top. They want to have more than anybody else. They don't want a kingdom that really economically emphasizes generosity. That our first concern is, are we taking care of everybody here? Is everybody okay? Are are there people that are coming up short? we got to help them. That's that's our priority. And, you know, 
That's, I'm convinced that the single greatest obstacle to full participation in the kingdom of Christ is economic self-interest. And we all have to struggle with that. But uh, the, econom- the people that had a priority of being economically wealthy, they were, in, they were afraid. They were frightened by how Jesus spoke about the kingdom and its radical generosity. And the politically powerful didn't want a kingdom whose politics are based in love and self-denial. They, they wanted to maintain a political system that was a dominion system, a, a domination system, a controlling system, a power over others. That's what they want because they, they're in that position of power over, and they like that. Uh, they're not interested in an alternative society, alternative kingdom, government, reign, rule that emphasizes co-suffering love. And it's not based upon the sword. It's based on take up your cross and follow me. And so because of their vested interests, in self-righteousness, economics, and political power, uh, they resist Jesus. They rejected the good news. They didn't hear it as good news. And they resisted Jesus, and they clung to the old world under the sway of the evil one. And they refused to welcome the arrival of the kingdom of God. They actively resisted it. Finally, they conspired to kill Jesus. They succeeded in their conspiracy, and they killed Jesus by crucifixion, but... The crucifixion of Jesus was, in fact, the coronation of Christ. And Jesus became Lord of the nations, vindicated in resurrection. It was kingdom come, hallelujah. Now, following the resurrection, some of these repented. Some of these people have named, some, of these, some within these groups repented. Particularly, some of the Pharisees and some of the priests were told that. That many of the Pharisees and many of the priests believed on Jesus and were baptized and entered into this kingdom. But overall, the power base of Jerusalem remained resistant, resistant to the gospel of good news of the kingdom of God. And within a generation, it all went to hell. To the literal hell of a fiery Gehenna in A.D. 70. Nevertheless, the good news of God spread from Galilee and Jerusalem throughout the entire Roman Empire. And that was 2,000 years ago. And since then, many an empire has risen and fallen. But the kingdom of God is still among us. It's just here. It just stays here. It's not brash it's never much louder than you know bread rising crops growing it's like a woman sweeping her house and finding what she's looking for it's like a man that stumbles upon a treasure and sells all that he might have it it's all kind of almost under the radar but it's there as people believe in Jesus and begin to participate in this kingdom that is without end I've, I've had three life-changing revelations in the course of my life. Three life-changing revelations. Um, I mean, you're, you're always trying to grow and learn. Oh, new insight. I don't mean that. I mean a flash of revelation that quite honestly changes your life. I've had it happen three times. The first revelation was this. Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, that, that's what happened when I was a teenager. I, I, it was just revealed to me. I don't know how to explain it. 
that there was that moment of flesh where I thought, well, it's all... I mean, I, was, I, never, I never actively disbelieved it. It was just that Jesus was a more or less a historical figure on the periphery of my life. And then suddenly, he was right there. He was everything. And I knew it's all true. He really is the Son of God. And Jesus became my all in all. And I was as surprised as anybody. I didn't see it coming. I didn't anticipate that. That wasn't my plan. But it's what happened. And so, but at that time, I mean, I believed in Jesus, but I hadn't really seen the kingdom of God. For 30 years, from that first encounter with Jesus, for 30 years, my, my thinking was more or less, the kingdom of God is heaven. And you get saved by asking Jesus into your heart, when you die, you'll go to heaven. And that's what it was really all about. It was just all about um, where you go when you die. And then I had my second life-changing revelation at age 45, halfway to 90. I saw the kingdom of God. I saw this thing that I'm trying to preach to you today. That, oh yes, I mean, I mean at death we're, we're, we're safe in the arms of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of living, hopefully, to do between now and then. And we're to do so within the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God has come and is coming. It is among us. And that the fullness of salvation is, in fact, the kingdom of God. It's how God sets the world right. The world's gone wrong. How does God set it right? Through His reign and rule, through His Son. It's called the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, I saw that. I saw that in about August of 2004. And I was born again, again. I was born again, again. It was that dramatic. I mean, I've had two conversions. That was the second one. Probably need three or four more. You know, I was born, I mean, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He, doesn't say, he didn't say unless you're born again, you can't go to heaven when you die. What he's saying is unless, unless you have this profound experience of rethinking everything, you will not be able to perceive the kingdom, even though it's right here. It's happening. It's present among us, but you can't see it. It will remain an invisible kingdom, an unreal kingdom. And then people become cynical about it. But at age 45, I, I saw the first revelation, Jesus, the Son of God. Second revelation, the kingdom of God. Third one, I'm not going to preach on. That's that, that God is like Jesus. That Jesus alone is the perfect revelation of who God is. Those three revelations um, saved me and are saving me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus has good news for you today. We're reading from Mark 1. It takes place in like the third, fourth decade of, of the first century. And here we are in the 20s, the 21st century. But it's still just as valid. It's real. Jesus has good news for you. And Jesus is announcing that there is another way of living. There's another kingdom. It's not a kingdom that's built upon accusation and shame and blame and domination and greed and the rat race and get ahead. Oh, no. There is another one. 
And Jesus says, I need you to repent. That is, I need you to rethink everything. You, you've been told that kind of the way the world is is the way it has to be. And the best you can hope for is get a ticket to heaven for when you die. And Jesus is saying, no. You can bring heaven to earth now. That's the song we're singing. That's that Our Father song. I mean, it's the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy government come, thy politics be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy reign and rule come, thy plans and purposes be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, I want you to rethink everything and know that that's possible. I want you to believe this good news. And then what follows after that? You, you, come, in, you come into this kingdom. Do it in a formal way. Be baptized when you can if you haven't been. But you join this kingdom and, and part of what happens, there are many things that happen, part of what happens is all your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You're a forgiven child of God. And now you're called to live a new way. And what is the invitation? Jesus says, follow me. And so that's what we see in Mark. We see Jesus is announcing, hey, hey. The time's fulfilled. I know we've been waiting for like forever, it feels like. But you know what? Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is right here at hand. It's arriving. Come on, rethink everything. Believe this good news. And then he starts calling particular people. And he says, hey, you, you with the net there, you fishing. Hey, follow me. What's your name? Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Come on, follow me. And Jesus gives us new names. And he just says, follow. And so we're called to just to, to imitate Jesus, to do what he does, to learn from him. To say, okay, I'm, a, I'm an apprentice in the school of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to learn to live in the world like Jesus. Now, I'm not going to do it perfectly. And I'm going to sin. But fortunately, we have a provision for that in this kingdom. It's the coolest thing. I don't know if you know. They'll just forgive you if you will... In humility, ask for forgiveness. It's the greatest thing. And then that, that keeps you from being weighed down with shame and excluded and kicked out and canceled. No, you, you sin, but you repent and you receive forgiveness. And then you just press on. You just keep pressing on and following Jesus. And it becomes a lifelong journey of discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus. But we don't do it alone. We do it together because this is the kingdom of God. Amen. Stand up with me. And so Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting you. He's saying. He's calling you by your name. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. There's a better way. Follow me. Believe, believe this good news that it's possible. Jesus says, believe in me. Believe in what I say. And start following me. It's right there. It's, just, it's right there. Reach out and lay hold of it. Take hold of it. Reach out and just take hold of Jesus. Take hold of his hand. Let him lift you up, forgive you, heal you, set you free, and then begin the new life of following Jesus. But you don't do it by yourself. You do it together. We can't, it can't be done by itself. It's, we, we need one another. We need to tell one another your sins are forgiven. We need to help one another. Uh, we all stumble in many ways. We all fall. The good news is we don't all fall at the same time. And so when one has fallen, we help them up. And we just, uh, together, we keep going. You know, if you're by yourself and you fall, it's hard. But, but no, we help one another. We don't ever condemn. We don't ever point the finger. We, don't, we certainly don't kick people when they're down. That's, that's the other kingdom. That's the kingdom of the Satan. 
We don't kick them when they're down. We help them up. And, and, the, and we don't, well, the good thing is we don't all fall at the same time. Holy Spirit sees to that. And we help one another. Somebody say amen. All right, so let's confess our faith and then receive forgiveness. Pray with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I do believe in the communion of saints. I believe the saints in heaven and saints on earth belong to one family in Christ. And that it is true. You are, you are part of the communion of the saints because you're a saint. But you're also a sinner. <laughs> so let's pray this prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And indeed, God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. So in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are all forgiven. And this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord, is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord's will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.